Hello, and welcome to the second episode of A Chat with Anat. I'm Professor Anat Lowenstein, host of this postcard series. I'm the chair of the Department of Ophthalmology at the Tel Aviv Medical Center in Tel Aviv, Israel, and professor of ophthalmology and vice dean of the medical school at the Tel Aviv University in Tel Aviv, Israel. For each of these podcasts, I will be joined by an internationally renowned colleague, and we will discuss key topics of interest to enhance the care of our patient and optimize their treatment in patients with neovascular macular degeneration. Today, I am very fortunate to be joined by Mr. James Tox. James is a consultant ophthalmologist at the Newcastle Eye Center in Newcastle, United Kingdom. Welcome, James. Thank you, Annette, and I look forward to our conversation. This podcast is sponsored by Bayer as part of the new Vascular AMD Barometer Program. Let me walk you through the main objective of our podcast. We would like to emphasize to you the importance of adherence and persistence in the management of neovascular macular degeneration. We know that real-world evidence suggests that patient adherence to anti-VEGF therapy in neovascular macular degeneration is less than optimal. And we also know that this fact can negatively impact the clinical outcomes. We recently worked on a systematic review with Dr. Mali Okada, as first author, that showed that adherence and persistence to treatment can be influenced by behavioral, environmental, and logistical factors. What I'd like to discuss with you today, James, is how clinic and healthcare-related issues can impact the patient's treatment experience, and also, as a result, their adherence and persistence to their treatment. I'd also like to discuss what improvements can be made in the organization of our clinics in order to improve both adherence and persistence and to optimize actually the overall management of our patients. So James, how do you think our clinic organization can directly impact the patients? And how have you approached the challenge of improving the adherence and persistence in your patients? So there's three main areas, really. One is patient understanding what they may expect from the treatment. So it's very important to have discussions at the beginning of a course of treatment. And in fact, it's also important to keep having those discussions as you go through, because as we all know, treatment for macular degeneration is a really long-term process of regular injections, regular visits. So the patient does need to be willing to accept that and understand the benefit and hopefully can see that it is actually helping their vision. But they certainly will need some encouragement to keep coming for treatment. I think the second point is because they keep coming regularly, accessibility to the clinic and the actual process of having the treatment needs to be uh, smooth, and, smooth and take as little time as possible to make you know what is essentially a, a not a particularly nice experience more of a pleasant experience so it doesn't take too long and I think that's even more important with the pandemic that we, we want to reduce the exposure to ourselves and the patient everybody so the clinic visits need to be as smooth as possible and thirdly you know these people get uh, elderly and there can be issues of maintaining follow-up so good communication between the administrative staff the people who book the clinics and the patients is very important. So chasing up, for example, if a patient didn't attend, what, why didn't they and do they want to come back? 
So I think those three areas are really can help with long-term management. Yeah, I think you are absolutely right. It always surprises me to see how these technical issues can affect our patients' uh, compliance. You would think that the distance from the clinic, for example, in a country small like Israel, would not make a big impact. But we did see in uh, what uh, we researched in our study that actually distance from the clinic was really important. James, I know that you've made some changes during the pandemic and after. Uh, can you please tell us a little bit about your experience and uh, uh, if, you, if you can teach us how to do that? Well, that's uh, difficult to teach new things. But yes, things have started before the pandemic and obviously maybe accelerated afterwards. But uh, different things we've done. One is uh, just try and improve the flow in the clinic and, and indeed set up another clinic. So we have two main centers now where we do our treatment. One in the main teaching hospital, which is in the center of the city. But another one actually in a shopping center where we've managed to, we have four clean rooms and we work around the patient. And a big advantage of that, it's a bit closer to home for some of our patients. Transport is always a big issue. You know, in the UK, we're quite fortunate that patients can get hospital transport often, but often it's a relative bringing them, they want to drive. And if you can't actually park in the hospital or it's difficult to, that just adds to the overall stress. So being out in a shopping center where the parking is not a problem really helps the access for coming back and forward. Absolutely right, James. We also worked outside of our offices. We got a donation from WeWork Israel and we worked during the pandemic. Uh, we worked outside of the office and that was extremely uh, successful. And then there's the actual process in the clinic. So we do a one-stop a system where they, as a standard visit, you come and have the vision, have an OCT, decisions made on a treatment, and then you have the treatment. What we're doing is uh, we do the vision, the imaging, but then the patient comes into the room where the clinician is, and they're essentially already in the room where we can do the treatment. They're on a, a couch that we can recline. It's a clean room. So we look on our computer at the record, the images, make a decision, and if they need a treatment, just recline the chair and do the treatment straight away. Prior to that, we used to have to send them to a different room to do the treatment. So then they end up in a queue and that can all take much longer. So th this tends to be much more efficient. And it's, you know, pa patients are elderly, their movement is harder. So the less you have to move the patient and the more you work around the patient, it just makes the whole system more efficient. We, we have the room all set up um, to, so everything's just ready for the injection change the actual process of the injection. We're no longer using a drape and a clip. We use a little uh, plastic cone that's designed for doing injections. And if you haven't seen that, I recommend it. It's a very quick and easy way of giving an injection. And everything that shaves even a few seconds off the process just helps smooth it. All, all these things make the process of injection easier. Working around the patient is also quicker rather than having to move them into different places. We also went to injecting patient homes for patients who really couldn't leave home at that time. You know, it's not for using regular times when the patient can come, but when they couldn't leave home, we, we just did it. And that was very beneficial. Right. Yeah, well, we haven't gone that far, but I think uh, patients getting to the clinic increasingly is an issue. In terms of the pandemic, we have changed how much we actually examine the patient. You know, if we're talking macular degeneration, mostly we want to know is the vision stable and or, you know, what is the vision? And secondly, what the OCT is like. So most visits, we're not dilating the patient or examining them. We're just looking at measuring the vision and looking at the OCT. 
we're doing a treat and extend regime. So if they're on a regular visit slot, then we're not always necessarily, necessarily formally measuring the vision. We would ask them, is their vision the same? And give the injection. Of course, if there's any change, any concerns with symptoms or drop in vision, we will be dilating and examining. But that isn't necessary every time. I totally agree. We do the same. We try to avoid as, te as many tests as we, poss we possibly can. Uh, you know, some people think even that visual acuity measurement is not so important. Uh, like you say, uh, for example, in France, I think they take the vision once a year or something like that. James, uh, I know that you uh, did really this uh, one-stop model in uh, the clinic uh, and finishing everything on the same day. Uh, do, do, you, do you have any data if this really improved uh, the adherence of the patients? Or I understand that theoretically it should, but I'm just asking if you, uh, if you feel that it really did that. It is true that if there is fluid, we need to give timely injections. So we've looked at... Um, were we actually seeing people at the time we intended them to? And if there was a delay, did that affect the outcome? And if, uh, we did present something of that at Arvo this year. And that does seem to be the case that uh, we are doing a treatment extend. We specify a treatment point. If they come at that point and have all the injections that we specified, the outcome is better than if there is a delay. So if, the, if you have a two-stop system or there is some reason why the patient didn't come, there's a little bit of delay their outcome may not be so good. But actually, if you looked at it at the end of the year, the total number of injections in those groups was actually the same. So they had the same number of injections, whether there was a delay based on del you know, plan or not plan, but the outcome was better if people stuck to the plan. So I guess that suggests that our planning is reasonably good, that we, we do get a better outcome, but it also suggests you really don't want to have delay. So if you have a two-stop model where you bring them in, make a decision you're going to treat, bring them back. And yet that doesn't happen. You know, tomorrow happens in two weeks time. Yeah, hence exactly. inherently adding delay, which over time does have an effect. So we think uh, for vision outcome, it's much better to do a one-stop model. It's also more efficient, really, if you can design the clinic to enable that. Yeah, I'm not sure this is possible in all countries, but I do think that working around the patient is a great concept actually. And uh, I think I, I really want to incorporate it in my clinic. James, I know that you employed a, a fail-safe officer uh, that gave a lot of infrastructure necessities uh, to help in the patient's appointments and patient's list. Can you elaborate on this a little bit? Yes, uh, we have a pretty large service. We do about 18,000 injections a year and we've got about 26,000 patients coming for macula, that's AMD and diabetes veins. So there's a lot of people coming and going, busy clinics. So the reality is if a few patients don't turn up, it's, it's easy not to really notice. You're busy and you're worrying about the next clinic. So if somebody doesn't come, they, we don't necessarily, or we didn't used to necessarily spend time worrying about that. You know, in the end, we feel it's the patient responsibility. But I think actually it is worth looking into what happens. Sometimes it turns out that it's actually, we never actually sent them an appointment or they had a transport issue on that day or, you know, they were unwell. There's different reasons. And then rescheduling appointments when we have a very busy service can be difficult. So now we have a system that we double check if somebody hasn't come, why they haven't come. So the failsafe officer would phone the patient up and clarify, you know, what was there a reason? 
and do they want another appointment? And also we check that if somebody has come, that we have actually given them another appointment and it's all properly scheduled. So I think this does greatly help reduce the loss to follow-up, or at least if people stop coming, we know why they're not coming and that there's an agreement that that's appropriate. So I think that's very helpful. James, can you maybe uh, tell us uh, what challenges or difficulties did you encounter when you Im- implemented this excellent initiative, the patient-centric uh, visit, the, the going out to the shopping mall, all of these changes? What technical difficulties or not technical, uh, what challenges did you have? I guess it's trying to get everybody in the team uh, working together on this. Um, having an electronic record is very helpful. We have two screens on the desk, so you have the medical record on one, the images on another. So just little details like that help speed things up. So there's very little paperwork involved. Each person in the room needs to be able to make decisions. So you need a staff who can review the patient, assess the OCT. You need to have the supervision working so that it is efficient between the different rooms and who's actually doing the treatment. The uh, Shopping center part, I think that's there is an investment. Clearly, you need to, you need to find a suitable place and have investment to be able to set something up like that. Mm-hmm. But as we all know, the, the macular degeneration work is not going away. The numbers increase. You do need to find ways of increasing capacity. So trying to move into different areas is helpful for that. To take part of the hospital to a shopping mall, you need a lot of infrastructure. You need the computer people. You need uh, the nursing staff or the techs. You need someone to go with you. We did a macular center in our office, but it is um, more a one-stop shop. So the patient comes in and the, the aim is that he'll get out after an hour with, with an injection. It doesn't always happen, but at least they feel that the whole center is for them. And we do receive a lot of thank you letters uh, already. It's too early to try and uh, quantitate it in any way, but we, are, we receive a lot of grateful notes and we are very happy that uh, we did this. Do you experience such a, um, you know, happiness from the patients? Well, uh, yes, we did. I mean, clearly, people are not happy about having injections, I guess. But uh, uh, overall, yes, they, they know they need the treatment and, and want to have treatment. Yes, certainly when we first set this up, where all our patients initially were coming to our central center. When we opened up the new center and patients found that the waiting time was down, it could be anything up to three hours in the main center. We were down to less than an hour in the new center. The fact that relatives could drive them there, you know, it, it made a huge difference to people's uh, appreciation of it yes so the, the, and we've had a lot of people once they go to the shopping center they don't want to go back to the other hospital they want to stay there because in the main hospital there's lots of other things going on so they're not the necessarily the main focus of attention whereas in this center in for the eye department it is just macular so yes it's, it's been a very positive experience we did mention our clinic organization is is important and can very easily be beneficial or detrimental to the patient's visual outcomes. We have also discussed changes that we both implemented in our clinics and how the changes can affect the, our patients. It changes their experience of attending the appointments, their motivation to adhere or to persist with treatment. James, I really learned from this chat with you uh, that this is what I want to do. I want the patient uh, to be more in the center and work everything around him to uh, bring into the room where the physician sees him and he immediately gets an injection and uh, everything is taken care of for him. I think it's a great concept and I hope that many people that are listening to you now, like myself, can incorporate it in their clinics. It's uh, certainly uh, can work very well. We'd like to thank everyone for listening. 
We hope that you found this chat as interesting as we have. And I would like very much to thank my special guest, Mr. James Stocks. Thank you, Anat. This podcast is the second in my Chat with Anat series. Please also listen to the first podcast with my guest, Professor Richard Gale, where we discuss the terminology of adherence and persistence that we use today in our chat with Mr. Tox. We also discussed how to motivate our patients to be adherent. And please look out for future podcast episodes coming soon. And thank you again for listening. Bye-bye.